Hi, I'm Kim. I'm an alcoholic. Through God's grace, AA, and great sponsorship. Not saying that just because she's here. <laughs> I've been sober since December 16th of 1998, and for that I'm truly grateful. Uh, I'm sponsored. Um, my sponsor has a sponsor. And I have a home group. It's if you're ever in Cincinnati, Ohio, on a Monday night at 7 o'clock, it's Fox Hall in Madeira, Ohio. Call me or look me up. I'll be more than happy to take you to a great meeting. Um, I sponsor women today, which is the highlight of my life. You know, I never in my wildest dreams thought that that would be the highlight of my life, but it really, really is, um, and I'll get more into that, too. So I um, was raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, parents got divorced, you know, um, when I was young. Um, had a bar in our basement. Drinking was part of our lives. My mom owned the bar in town. Drinking was really a part of our lives. Um, most people grow up and aspire to be doctors and policemen or policewomen and, you know, lawyers and all that kind of stuff, or even teachers or, you know, just whatever. And I grew up and aspired to marry the brother of my best friend's husband-to-be, whatever that we were going to marry brothers because we were best friends, so that way we could have grill-outs and we could drink together and our kids would run around. And that's really, those were my hopes and my goals, you know, is we had to find guys that were brothers and then we would be all right, you know, because <laughs> we drank the same and we did the same things and we acted the same and she knew more about me than I knew about me because I don't remember a lot when I drank. And... Sometimes she would tell me, and sometimes she wasn't. She was really a good friend. And um, so, you know, the first time I drank, it wasn't like um, I set out to drink. What happened was is uh, we have brothers that were five years older than us, both of us, and uh, they were going to drink. And in order for us to not tell on them, they had to give us beer. Sounds like a fair trade-off, right? So I was young. I'm not really sure how old I was, but they were drinking. I know that they gave us a huge delight. I think we had two. And I distinctly remember we were at her house, and our brothers were there with all these guys, five years older. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you want to drink and impress them even at a young age, right? And um, I took a drink, and I remember thinking, ooh, you know? And I remember I think I had that beer, ooh, you know? And a guy looked at me, and he said, you have to just drink past that ooh. And I thought... <laughs> Okay, and I did, and it was great, you know, he was right. So he taught me to drink from the very first drink, you know, and um, by the time I had two cutie delights, I was rolling down the hill and shaking my head and, you know, all that stuff, and I was having fun, I thought, having fun. And uh, what it did for me early on was um, it took away the fear of my gut, you know. I was afraid. I was raised by my stepdad, who I was very afraid of, and I would tell you then that's why I drank, um, did it cause me pain and harm? Of course it did. Did it make me an alcoholic? No, it didn't. Um, but what happened is I would drink and I would walk home and I would just be like taller and stronger and braver and not afraid. It just took away that fear um, when I would go home. So we drank as much as we could. Being younger, we drank basically when they drank because then we could get beer from them. But um, I got emancipated when I was 16. Um, I was drinking, just doing what I do. And they filed charges on me for being unruly, which I didn't quite understand. I'm sure I was very unruly. Um, went to court, ended up getting emancipated, which means I got my own apartment. Of course, before that, I lived in a, what, runaway, a runaway shelter, and I lived in my car for a while. And I stayed at your house and slept on your couch and used your shower and went to work with you because I didn't have anything else to do and um, went to high school and barely graduated. I have no idea how I graduated. And um, I bring all this up because I completely forgot that whole part of my life. Like, 
there was a year there that I don't, I still to this day don't remember because I drank really, really hard. I lived with a girl that had blonde, curly hair for about a year. I don't know her name. I don't know where we lived. I don't know the things that we did. I just don't remember. I have no recollection. Um, things that I do remember is when I did have my own apartment and um, we had been out at the bar drinking and I had a fake ID and um, we would come home and it would be late and um, somebody had an idea like, I don't know, let's go to Florida. It was a good idea, you know. Um, I had this, at this time, just graduated high school and I had a job. Um, I was a hairdresser at a salon. Um, I had an apartment and a cat and they said, let's go on vacation and I thought, yeah, let's go. And it's two or three o'clock in the morning and we're packing up to get ready to go on vacation and uh, I packed, uh, I'm sorry, we, were, we came back from vacation. We were packing to move to Florida um, because we had just been down there and we decided it was a good idea that her and I were best friends now. We were going to marry brothers and sell waffle fries on the beach. That was <laughs> the big plan, you know. So we were moving. We weren't just going on. I mean, really, it was a good idea. We were going to move to Florida. And I told you, it was. I always wanted to move there. And um, even from then. So we're driving and we've got a coffee can full of money. And we're driving, and we're like, it'll work, right? Right now. So here we go. We're driving. We're feeling great. We're like, we're going to Florida. We're high-fiving. We're like, yeah. You know, we're talking about all the dreams and how it's going to be great selling waffle fries on the beach and just how we're going to be together forever. And, you know, it's getting lighter and lighter, and it's getting we're getting more sober. And we're like, we're going to Florida. <laughs> kind of looking around a little bit. And... Um, a couple hours later, she looks at me and she goes, oh my gosh, we're going to Florida. I'm like, I know, what are we doing? We're going to Florida. We're sober by this time and her car dies. <laughs> and we're on the highway and we're in Tennessee somewhere. And we roll off the highway and we roll right into a gas station. She puts it in park. Um, I call my job and said that I was sick. I didn't call him with alcoholism. I should have, but I didn't. And uh, her dad had 22 years of sobriety in the program and she called her dad. And uh, he's like, where are you? And we're like... I don't know. We're asking people, where are we at? And uh, we find out where we are, where we were. I still don't remember where we were. And um, he goes, your uncle lives at that exit, and he's a mechanic. And I'll send him down to take a look at your car. And uh, he was there in five minutes. I thought, bad luck. You know, I'm thinking, this is just really bad luck. If I didn't have bad luck, I probably wouldn't have any luck at all. And today I can look and clearly see God's footprint on my life. You know, so I'm thinking bad luck. He gets there and he walks up and he's checking everything he checked to make sure everything's attached and that, that it has gas in the car. And he sat down and I kid you not, he turned that ignition and it started right up. No problem at all. Um, she, he called her dad and said, Angie looks great. This girl she's with, however, has a red heel on and a purple heel on and a cat, <laughs> and, a cat and a litter box. You know what I mean? And she got sent to rehab and I went back to work, you know. And I say that because I have driven drunk. I have done the things that everybody's done to get to go to jail and get DUIs and do all of those things. I've woken up in blackouts talking to police officers crying. And uh, I didn't, that's not what happened for me. They would pat me on the head and say, go home. And when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous the first time, I was really, really grateful that somebody said, make sure you listen for the similarities. Did you feel like they felt? Did you drink like they drank? Did you do what they did? And I could say yes to that because there's a lot of things that some of you guys have done that I hadn't done yet, you know. Um, and I've had people come up to me and say, I spilt more beer than you drank, you know. And for a girl like me, that'll kill me, you know. Um, 
so we got back home. She went to rehab, all that kind of stuff. Fast forward a couple of years. I've got this fake ID. Nothing's changed in my life. I'm still doing all the same things I've always done. And um, we're at a bar one night, and we're drinking, and I'm doing what I do best. I change who I am completely so that you'll buy me all the beer that you need to buy me tonight while I'm sucking face with you because it's what I do. And we're getting ready to leave, and I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. Everybody, I'm with my mom. I'm underage. I'm with my best friend and my mom and some girl. And um, we're drinking, and, and I'm, I drink for that 10 minutes of, I hit the mark. You know what I mean? I mean, 10 minutes ago, life was horrible. I got to get this guy to, you know, buy me some beer. 10 minutes later, the world is great. Nothing could be better than the way it is. I feel on top of the, I mean, it's amazing. He's the man of my life. I, what's your name? Um, yeah, you know. <laughs> and, but he is, you know, and, and things are great, and he's buying the beer, and it's just, you know, it's really happened, and they want to leave, and I'm just thinking, you want to what? How could you possibly want to leave right now? But they did. I think it was closing time, but that's not what registered my mind. I'm just thinking the party's on, you know, whatever we have to do to keep this going is what we're going to do, and we go out to the parking garage, and um, I want to do everything I can to go back in and drink more, and... Um, Again, only one underage, only one with a fake ID, only one wanting to drink more. And the police come, and my girlfriend's like, I'm like, everybody here is too drunk to drive. In my, in my mind, that equates we get to go back in the bar. And her, <laughs> in her mind, it equates I'm kicking her butt right about now. And, uh, and with that, she went back to swing at me, and they arrested her, and they put her in the car. And uh, my mom got arrested that night, too, and I didn't, you know. They looked at me, and they said, go home. You know, I don't. I didn't know how I was going to get home, and I started walking across the bridge from Kentucky to Cincinnati, and it had rained a whole lot that weekend, and the the river gets really swollen. And I remember thinking, well, I called everybody before that. I needed a ride home, so I got my black book. I did hair at the time, and you know, I did your hair, and you have this many kids, or you do this, and you know, I did your hair, and you like it cut, you don't want it colored. I do all, and I have your information there. And what I did is I had that black book with me, and at three o'clock in the morning, I called and I said, hi. I'm Kim, I'm your hairdresser. Yes, yes. <laughs> I know it's 3 o'clock in the morning, but I'm stuck downtown. Can you come and get me? Click. Person after person. I mean, I called everybody in my black book. And they all hung up on me. Nobody would come and get me. And I didn't do hair for much longer after that, needless to say. <laughs> so I'm walking across the bridge, and I'm thinking about how sorry they're going to be that they didn't come and pick me up. I really needed them to come pick me up. And well, that's it. I'll just jump and die. And then they'll be sorry that they didn't come and get me. I'll show them, you know. And um, I'm dramatic, so I pictured it for a few <laughs> minutes, laying in my coffin, you know, and them walking by and crying and patting my hand about how much they loved me, the poor lady. And, um, and then a few minutes later, my thought was, no, Kim, you'll jump, and you'll break a leg and a back, and you'll live, you know. <laughs> and you'll float for days. <laughs> And they'll find you three, you know, states away, clinging on to life, and you'll be rescued and saved, you know. And, and I thought, maybe that's not such a good idea. And um, I hitchhiked home and went back to work the next day. Showed up, you know, I, was, I could show up for work. And um, what happened is I worked with, like, 78 hairdressers. And in that day, you could smoke and tell jokes and eat in the break room. And 78 hairdressers, there's always someone in there eating, drinking, smoking, you name it. And I walked in there, and there was nobody in there. And this girl, Heather, that I had known, was always really happy and bubbly, and everything came in and sat down. And I turned, and I looked at her, and I said, I think I'm an alcoholic. Can you help me? And she was like, oh, my God, I'll be right. And boom, I mean, she ran out the door, and I thought, oh, my God, what have I done? 
can I take it back? You know, um, I'm scared. I don't know what she's going to do. And she came back through that door with a blue book. And I'm sure it had my name in it. Like, she'd been waiting for me to realize. <laughs> we kind of wait sometimes, you know. And then she said, you know, there's a meeting tonight in Cincinnati at 4 or 5 Oak Street. And I'm going to pick you up at 7. The meeting starts at 7.30. And I just I just thought, uh-oh. You know what I mean? Uh-oh. The cat. I didn't know. I, I didn't say that. God said that for me. Because I was kind of like, where did that come from, you know? Because alcohol had been my solution for so long, you know. Um... So she picked me up, she took me to 405 Oak Street, and that was in 1992-ish. And um, we walked into the meeting, and it was a big meeting. It was probably this many people there at the meeting. And um, she said, they're going to ask if you're an alcoholic. You might want to stand up and say, my name's Kim, I'm an alcoholic. And I thought, I didn't even say it. I just thought, there's absolutely zero way I'm going to stand up in front of all of these people and tell them that I'm an alcoholic. And she leaned over and she said, don't worry, they're all alcoholics too. That never dawned on me that you were there for <laughs> I had no idea. My vision was right here, you know? If you weren't in my little bubble that was right here, it was all about me. And I had no idea. Um, sat down, and uh, they asked, and she did the nudge, like, that's your cue, stand up. And I stood up, and I said, my name's Kim. I'm an alcoholic. And I sat down, and I shook really bad, and my face turned bright red, and that's about all I remember except... Emily R. spoke at the very first meeting I heard, and she said, my name's Emily, and I'm an alcoholic. Ha, ha, ha. And she laughed, and you all laughed. And I thought, that wasn't funny. (laughs) Then she said some other things and laughed, and I thought, oh, my God, that's really not funny, you know? (laughs) I just thought, how can she share that from up there, you know? How can she tell these people that? But what happened was really quite spectacular. When When the meeting was over, there was a line of women that formed, And it was a line of women that went down the hallway or down the middle aisle, turned, and went down the other hallway. And they weren't in line for the speaker, and they weren't in line for the chairperson. They were in line for me, the new girl, you know? Um, And they gave me their phone number. Every single one of these ladies, I'm thinking like maybe 20 ladies came up and gave me their phone number, and they took my phone number. And they said things to me like, call me 24 hours a day. If I don't answer, call back. Um, call me if you ever need anything, if you're ever in a tight jam or a spot, if you ever want to go to a meeting. You know, call me, I don't want your shoes. That was important because if I was your friend, I usually wanted something from you and I had nice (laughs) shoes and I didn't want my shoes, you know, usually it was your man, but anyway. Um, Well, program of honesty. So they came up and they gave me that information. And what happened for a drunk like me is when I left, I felt a little bit better. Um, And I felt enough better to come back another time. That same girl pulled me out on the porch, and she had that big book, and she opened it up, and she said, "Um, I'm going to put my name in here. I want you to call me every day. Um, Go to a meeting, work the steps, read the first 164 pages, highlight what stands out to you, what you can relate to. Did you feel that way? Did you drink that way? Did you do what they did? Anything like that, anything that you can relate to. Um, To hang out with the women, those kind, the same things that that are still true today. And I did those things a ton. Um, Fast forward about a year, I'm really feeling great. Things are wonderful in my life because I'm doing the deal. I'm working with a sponsor. I'm doing all the stuff she's told me to do. And I meet him. Um, He told me he had two years of sobriety and he had two weeks of sobriety. Again, I'm still right here. I can't see anything further than this. And I'm thinking, okay, that sounds like it's about right. And we had this big conversation how we were going to take things really slow. And um, within three months, we were living together, and we were pregnant right away. And um, we had decided that um, we were going to get married. 
and I'm eight months pregnant, and I come home from an AA meeting, and he's having a 12-pack of Budweiser. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? We don't drink. And he goes, I'm celebrating the baby. And I thought, you know, what are we going to do? We don't drink. And I really freaked out, and um, I remember calling my sponsor. Um, Needless to say, what ended up happening for me was that same list that she had given me, I slowly started to give back. You know, I slowly started to stop praying on my knees. I slowly stopped calling my sponsor. I slowly stopped hanging out with you women. All of a sudden, 90210 was on on a Wednesday night, and I couldn't do that Wednesday night meeting anymore because I really wanted to watch the show, you know? (laughs) And then it was, you know, we had to go have dinner on Friday night to work on our relationship because it was kind of rocky or whatever, you know, because he'd been drinking. And uh, But what happened is little by little by little, I gave Alcoholics Anonymous back to you. And what happened for me was when my daughter was born in May, um, I uh, was laying out at the pool with a girl that I was sponsored. We had the same sponsor. And um, she was going to drink, and she handed me a beer. And it was just that easy, you know. Um, Now, what that looks like for me, I had um, about two years of sobriety, uh, was pregnant, had a baby, and here she hands me this beer. And I got drunk. First night drinking after two years, wake up about 3 o'clock in the morning. You know how pretty we are when we have slobber stuck to our face and our hair stuck to our face and the makeup's kind of stuck our eye. We can only open it a little. And I'm laying there, my baby's crying, and I'm thinking, I want to get up and get her. You know what I mean? I want to get up and be a mom. Um, And when I woke up the next morning, she was in her bed and I was in mine, and I couldn't remember how we had gotten there. Um, And I thought, that's it. I'm not going to drink anymore. I'll do other things that will make me a super mom, you know. And um, needless to say... I drank until I couldn't drink anymore. And I was never in and in and out drunk. I always, when I was out, I was out, you know. And I always thought, if I need AA, I know where it's at. I'll just come back. I know where it's at. It's no big deal. I'll just come back. And the truth of the matter is for me is even when I wanted to come back, I didn't know how. I couldn't remember how to get back in here to you guys. You know, I couldn't remember. And what that looks for, looks like for me is I had another two-year sobriety, um, pregnant. This time he was having an affair. And I thought, if I stay home, I can make him stop. I'm here to tell you, ladies, if he's going to have an affair, he's going to have an affair. You can't stop it. I tried. <laughs> I tried it for you. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to try it. <laughs> and it just doesn't work. They're going to do it if they're going to do it. You know, and my prayers stopped from being, God, keep me clean and sober. They became, God, please make him stay and make her go away. And that's just my experience as I know it. And uh, I had that baby, and same thing. I had given you back Alcoholics Anonymous because I had to make, I had to the, control the situation at the home. And um, I was driving down the road, and I was thinking, that song came on. I'm a song person, you know. I need something else to get me through this. And I thought, you're right, I do. When I started drinking again, and it was on again for about another year. Um, something happened, and um, oh, I remember what happened. <laughs> um, we were, I had been drinking. I'd met somebody for an afternoon lunch and she was going to have a Long Island iced tea. And I decided it might be a really good idea to have a shot of vodka because I was a vodka drinker with lunch. And, um, you know, shot after shot after shot after shot after shot. Um, I had to go pick up my daughter from school. And um, I, my mom owned the bar in town and I was 30 minutes early. So I thought I'd stop off and have a drink. And uh, I couldn't go pick up my daughter because I was just too drunk to go to school and pick her up. And the barmaid left and went and got my daughter for me and brought me brought her back to me. And then my friends, my buddies, my pals at the bar gave me a pat on the back and said, call us when you make it home, if I make it home, right? Um, and I put my little girl in the car with me, and it wasn't the first time I'd put her in the car with me. Um, thank God it was the last time I put her in the car with me. Um, and I was just doing what I do. I'm driving, and all of a sudden I hear that, and that's the gravel hitting my car because I'm not on the road anymore. 
and I remember like coming to, I don't know if I was in a blackout or what, I have a very, it's, it's really cloudy for me. And I remember thinking, oh no. So I'm thinking, I'm getting ready to go home. What do I look like? I've been drinking all day. Nobody can know I've been drinking all day. So I got to make this, you know, right. And I turned the mirror just to do the, how bad does it look? <laughs> how bad do I look? What do I have to do before I get home so that I don't look like I've been drinking all day? And I turned the mirror and I'm starting to look and I see my little girl in the back seat just swinging her feet, looking out the window with a smile on her face. Like everything's great. And all my life I had drank, I'd said, you know, if you had a life like I had, you'd drink too. And if you don't like the way I drink, then don't drink with me. Then I'll find somebody else that wants to drink around me. And all the excuses I got just to get you away from me so that I could be who I wanted to be. You know, I'm not hurting anybody. Just the excuses that I would use. And I realized that here my innocent five-year-old little girl in the backseat and I'm running off the road because I'm hammered, you know. And I got home and um, my husband was there and he said, I'm going to go to Oak Street. Do you want to go? And I said yes and shook my head no um, because I had nowhere else to go. I had nowhere else to go. So I come into Oak Street um, in 1998 and um, I sit down in the front row and it's really, really hard to come into Alcoholics Anonymous when you've had two years of sobriety twice and you're back out and, you're, and your way doesn't work and you got to come in with your head, oh, I've been drinking, you know, and it's just not fun. And thank God in Alcoholics Anonymous, you don't care what I've been doing. You're just glad that I'm here. You know, you're just glad that I'm here. Chuck came up to me. I've known Chuck for a long time, too. And Chuck came up to me when I came back in. And he goes, Kim, well, Kim Cobb, I'm so glad to see you. And he gave me a big hug. And he said, we've been saving you a seat. And I must have looked at him like, die, you know. <laughs> Because I wasn't really happy to be there, you know, and I really didn't want your love and your miracles or how great and everything wonderful is. And I just, did, I just, I was, I hurt so bad, you know, I didn't want it. And then he looked at me and he went, oh, <laughs> you're sick, you know, like, <laughs> stay sick. You're teachable when you're sick. And he walked away. And that pissed me off. <laughs> I was pissed. I was like, I'm not staying sick. I don't know who he thinks he's talking about. Stay sick. It'll be, I was pissed. So I got his wife to sponsor me. <laughs> now, that wasn't a conscious decision, of course. Well, maybe a little it was. But I had a friend that had spiky blonde hair and tattoos all over, and Beth was her sponsor, and I thought, well, she can keep her sober. She can keep me sober. That's true. And we went to a conference, and Beth was taping at the time, and I walked up, and I was like, so, you know, um, do you think you could be my sponsor? And she was like, yes. I mean, she's busy. She's working. I'm asking her to be my sponsor, and she's busy. And she's like, but listen, if I have a strawberry cake and I use strawberries and I use, you know, white flour and white sugar, I'm going to have a strawberry cake. If you use chocolate chips and brown sugar, you're going to have something chocolate. So if you want what I have, you'll do what I do. And that made sense to me. You know, that really made sense to me. And that's what I try to do to the best of my ability today. Um, that was in 1998. Still married to the same guy. Um, have about two years of sobriety and I'm pregnant. And I go to my home group, which is Fox Hall, and I walk in and, and I, Beth is there and, I'm, and I'm, I'm crying. And she's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, two years of sobriety, pregnant drink. Two years of sobriety, pregnant drink. Two years of sobriety, and I'm pregnant. You know, and I'm crying. And she said, good, you're the 10 minute speaker. That wasn't funny. I was just like, I mean, like, I can't even breathe. They've got snot slinging everywhere. 
it was my home group, still is my home group. And she said, get up there and tell them your story. You get up there and tell them how scared you are. And I did. And I... I think I cried through the whole thing. And what you guys did then is you loved me. You made me cake babe at the home group. <laughs> that means I had to show up whether I wanted to or not, because I had to bring the daggone cake, whether, you know. And I want you to really like me, so I want to bring that cake, and I want it to be good, you know. So there's preparation involved in that, and I have to show up, you know. And, um, and I got messages from my sponsor like, you know, just because it's what you've always done, it doesn't mean it's what you always have to do. Why don't I think about that kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> like I could just plug it in and it would just play, you know? That's the, the benefit of having a sponsor that you're in contact with, you know? So I did the pregnancy thing. I was in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. And what happened is my family in Alcoholics Anonymous and my sisters in Alcoholics Anonymous just grabbed me at every chance they could, and they kept me in the center of Alcoholics Anonymous. I ended up having that little boy. Um, he was born with two thumbs on his right hand. And... Um, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, it really wasn't. I remember being shocked and awe and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, he's just so lovable. He's such a great kid. He really is such a good kid. And what happened immediately after that is I ended up started, I started passing out sober, right? I, I mean, you expect it when you're drinking, but you don't really expect it when you're sober. And uh, I would show up and I'd call my sponsor. And I'm like, I've been, you know, I've been to the hospital four times. And they... I had great doctors when I drank. You know, they would just give me lots of drugs if I just came in with a little ache and a little pain. We know how to, you know, make it sound good. And I would tell her, you know, they keep trying to give me all this medication, but there's something wrong with me. And she said, you push until you're satisfied. You go in there and you push until you're satisfied. I had to learn that here. Because when I was out there, I was whatever you wanted me to. I dated a guy, and he. we were walking in the mall, and I was wild, right? And this girl had on this dress that had circles that attached. You couldn't wear anything under it because it had circles on both sides. And he was like, oh, you wouldn't wear that, would you? And I was like, no. And I had to go home and throw it away, you know? Because <laughs> they couldn't know that I, would, I had it in my closet. It's true. But that's kind of how I was. So if you said I was okay, you must be right, right? Because I don't know anything. And what I learned, you know, through working with you ladies and listening to my sponsor is, is I do know something's going on with me, and I need to speak until I'm, I need to find out, you know, what's going on. So fast forward, I'm, we have an advance every year. And uh, in my sponsorship family where we go, can I have a tissue from somebody? Yes. So I have to sit in here and do this forever. Thank you. Thank you. So we have an advance every year and um, where we go in the middle of the woods on purpose, kind of like today, where we go with a bunch of women on purpose to talk about God and celebrate each other's recovery, you know. And uh, I had went away with them, and my cardiologist called me on my sister pigeon. How does my cardiologist know my sister pigeon's phone number? I don't have any idea, but he called her on Saturday and told him that I needed to come home. Um, and I have, this is just you know, I can look back over my life and just see God's big print just all over it. Like, yep, that was God. Yep, that was God. And I have no idea that that's going to happen. I'm just doing what's right in front of me. I'm praying, God, you know, do whatever it is that you want to do with me. Use me today. Have me do your will. And he just kind of puts me where I need to be. 
I'm in the middle of the woods, three hours from civilization, <laughs> and we, we hardly get a phone signal out there. Carol gets a call. A cardiologist says I have something called complete heart block. We have no idea what it means. I think it means that my arteries are clogging, and I better shove as many s'mores in my mouth as I can, <laughs> because tomorrow I'm not going to get any. <laughs> and everybody else is going, get her some more s'mores. <laughs> We're good that way. So... But thank God I have a nurse that's there in my sponsorship family, and she really knows what's going on, and she's talked, and they're going to drive me home so I don't have to drive. And I have my, am I allowed to say I had my son there? Yeah. <laughs> Only man that's ever gone is my son because I was nursing and having so many medical problems, so he was there with me. They drove us back home. Um, as soon as I got home, I um, had passed out for 15 seconds, and what we had realized is my heart was stopping. Um, it would stop, and the, the condition that I have happens to, like, 90-year-old men. It doesn't really happen to 29-year-old female women. And they put me in ICU, and what happened is my family at Alcoholics Anonymous and my home group members, they took my three children, my nursing four-month-old baby boy who hated terribly to be separated from his mother, and they cooked and they cleaned and they took care of my children while me and my husband spent time in ICU so that I could live, so that I could live. And I didn't have to pick up the phone and call anybody. You guys just showed up at my door. What? You know? That's just amazing to me today. So I was in the ICU for, I think, five days, and they put in a pacemaker, and I got to go home, and you guys brought us meals, and you did our laundry, and you helped take care of my family until we could take care of our family on our own. Um, and that's just one time that you guys have shown up for me like that. You guys have shown up for me repeatedly, over and over and over and over. Um, we decided it was a good idea to move to Florida a couple years later, you know. I always wanted to live there, even since I was drinking, you know. This time a little differently, I wasn't going to be a waitress on the beach serving waffle fries. But we decided to move, and we inventoried it, and we went ahead and we moved, and I was absolutely miserable. Um, you know, I talked to my sponsor about it a ton. Um, came back. Um, he got really sick. Um, I don't say this like laughingly, but he was having headaches and stuff, and I really thought, he was really being mean, and I thought, man, you just really need AA. I mean, I really just thought, if you just do some AA, you'll be all right, and we, I, I don't know, he was 13-something, he was, I, he was seeing one of my new girls, and um, I kicked him out, and uh, he came to pick up the kids not long after that, and his face was numb, and he said, I need to go to the doctor, or whatever, and he was in a lot of pain, so we ended up taking him to the ER, and he had a large mass in the, in the middle of his head, and uh, it was cancerous, and he had it in his neck, and in his clavicle, and in his spine, and he just had it everywhere. I mean, I'm not kidding you when I say he had stage four, and it was just, it was inoperable. It was really bad, and uh, Alcoholics Anonymous stepped up again. You know, we brought meetings to my house. We, we loved him through it. We really did, and uh, the thing is, is I was getting ready to get divorced before he got sick. I really was, you know, and um, trying not to be just thinking about myself, but calling my sponsor. I mean, I wanted him to come back home. I wanted him to be with his kids and all of that. And I was really great with all that. But my thought was, is how do you divorce a man that has cancer? You know, how do you, how do, you do that and live and stay sober? I just don't <coughs> see how you do that. So we loved him through all of that. And he got better. He did. He got well. And, um, and that was really great. I'm really glad. He's, you know, still recovering today you know he's still in remission from cancer um but it, the more he well he became um the more angry and toxic it got inside my house and um cancer or no cancer i don't have to live like that today 
you know, and um, we are not responsible for the diseases that we have, but we are responsible for our solutions that we have to them, and he was just responsible for his solution as I am for mine. And, uh, you know, talking to my sponsor and, and going through all of that, I got divorced in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, we were married 14 years in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and that's really hard to do. What happens, you know, they tell you don't date or they tell you all those kind of things. And what happens, and I found out firsthand, is that <coughs> as we got divorced, we lost everything. We lost our house. I lost my job because um, I was a realtor at the time. Um, and I had to have insurance for my kids. So I had to get a job that paid a weekly salary with benefits. Um, we lost our neighborhood. My kids, we had 22 kids on the street. My, we, had to, we had to move. Um, I lost more than half of my friends because they weren't really friends, and most of them were in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I moved to a really small house, and there was nothing wrong with that, you know, coming from a big house, moving to a small house, because it really kind of forced us to be in each other's space, and I was forced to see what was going on with my kids. But what happened is um, people in Alcoholics Anonymous pick sides. Um, not everybody, and I'm not pointing the finger at anybody, but it happens. And I have learned firsthand how not to pick sides, and I sponsor my women, my, my girls that way very strongly. Because what happens, and especially for a drunk like me, what you think about me is so important to me, I will kill myself not to, to feel what you think about, to get the disapproving looks at a meeting, to get the... You know, the size and the, the whisper, because I know you all are talking about me. You know, whether you are or you aren't, I know that you are. And uh, what happened for me was is I decided that, uh, well, I stayed home. Before my divorce uh, and when things were getting really bad and really rocky, um, I wasn't allowed to leave my house. Um, we had just moved back from Florida, and it had been about two or three months, and we were remodeling the house. <laughs> And I wasn't allowed to leave my house. I, I would get ready to leave. I, was, I even had an award banquet to go to, and I couldn't go get this award because I couldn't leave my house. I wanted to go to a meeting. I couldn't go to I couldn't leave my house. And um, I'm curled up on a bed, dying. And by this time, Beth has moved here. You know, so my sponsor's not in town anymore. I've got about nine years of sobriety. And, um, but I do still have two or three women that are sponsored by her. And what happened for me was um, they came to my door, and they uh, knocked on the door. I remember opening the door, and uh, I guess they had all conversed about me. <laughs> they all had a meeting about me, and uh, the consensus was that Kim needed to go to AA, you know, and uh, they were right because I was slowly dying, and um, Carol came up, and she said, she's going to watch her children, and you're getting in my car. They didn't ask me how I felt or did I feel like going to a meeting or maybe I oughta. They basically said, get in the car. We got the kids and they took me off to my home group. And that's what happens when you have a home group and you have a sponsorship family is they know when you're not showing up. They know when you're not around. Um, and that way they can call and say, hey, we're going to step in and save your life because that's what they did for me. You know, they stepped in and saved my life. Went to my home group meeting that night and one of my home group members came up to me and said, there's a new girl over there. Why don't you go give your number? And I thought, nah, no thanks. And she said, oh, no, no, I don't think I asked you. I think I told you. <laughs> There's a new girl over there. Go give her your number. And I was like, oh, I don't want to give her my number. But I walked over and I went, my name's Kim. Call me, you know. And she never called me. I wouldn't have called me either. I'd have been like nine years of sobriety. I don't think so, you know. But what it did for me is it gave me that hope like it had at the first meeting, you know. A little bit of out of myself so I could get a little bit of relief from me saved my life saved my life.
So fast forward, divorced, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, I get a career that's absolutely amazing. I've always wanted to be a photographer. I'm shooting photography. It's great. It's wonderful. Um, it's really a dream come true. It's one of the first things I gave up really quick for alcoholism. My boyfriend hawked my camera, and I let him. You know what I mean? Um, and now that's what I do for a living is I shoot professional photography. And I get paid to do it, right, uh, which is really a miracle. But um, in the process of getting that job, um, I had to work really hard because now I'm a single mom uh, with an unemployed um, ex-husband, uh, and it's a lot of responsibility on my head with three little babies, you know, and uh, I'm working a lot of extra hours. I'm seeing that, you know, I can't really go to those meetings because I've got to work. Um, I slowly, slowly, slowly start giving you back Alcoholics Anonymous, and I slowly, slowly start to isolate, which is kind of what I do. Um, and this is just a year and a half ago, right? Two years ago? Yeah. So it's been a couple years ago. And, um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I start to slowly, it's been four years, I slowly start to, uh, to get away and get away and get away, and I'm not calling my sponsor, and I'm not talking to you ladies, and I don't have any friends in Alcoholics Anonymous. My job becomes my life, and... Um, I'm not sharing it with anybody. I'm not checking off with somebody. You know, if I call my sponsor and it's something that, you know, we have to talk about or um, maybe she doesn't know, she calls her sponsor. You know what I mean? And we ask other people that are sober so that way we can look at it with clear eyes, you know. And I'm not doing that, so I just have my eyes. So everything's great, you know. Everything's wonderful. And, um, again, laying on my bed being just absolutely run on self-will, just completely running my life on my own, complaining that, you know, I don't have any friends, you know, there's no AA there that's any good. Um, and I remember I did call her for once, and she said, well, if, you know, there's no AA there that you like, you know, create the fellowship that you crave. Right? Hello? And, uh, well, it helps if you go to meetings, and it helps if you call your sponsor, and it helps if you're sponsoring women, and it helps if you're doing Alcoholics Anonymous and writing inventories and praying on your knees and reading the big book and those kind of things all play in together. And I'm not doing those things. Um, I start to try to pick up, and, and, I, and what happened is in that year lapse of uh, self-sponsoring, um, for lack of, I would say, fraudulent sponsorship or whatever you would call it, <laughs> but I sponsored myself for about a year, and um, what had happened is I had done some things, and I didn't, like, maliciously not tell Beth, but what happens when I picked up and tried to do AA again, I just forgot to tell her some things, like a relationship. I had a really long relationship in that time, and, and I forgot to tell her about that and happened to be with my boss, you know. <laughs> the small details, you know. And uh, But what that does to somebody like me is all of a sudden I'm doing all this Alcoholics Anonymous and doing all these things, and I haven't told her those things because it's not a big deal. I'm a big girl. I can have a relationship without having to talk to my sponsor about it, right? But what happened for me is all of a sudden I was gripped with fear, like <gasps> fear. You know what I mean? Like overwhelming <gasps> fear. And then what happened is when I would lay down at night, my head wouldn't shut off. And all of a sudden, it was telling me all these things, you know, and they're all going to know. And they all think, you know, I mean, all the committee, they're all in session, you know, and it was a lot and it was loud. And I had to turn the TV on to drown it out so I could go to sleep. That's true. I could not put my head down without the TV on because I, I, it wouldn't shut off. And then I'm calling her without all the information. She, I'm always the omitter. I admit all of this. I don't know why my life's crazy. I can't sleep, but I don't know why. And I'm calling her and she's going, well, okay, 
I mean, if you only give your, them half the information, they can only help you as much as you're giving them the information. So she said, say prayers. I'm like, all right, I'm praying. It's not working. She's like, well, write down people that you want to pray for. And I'm like, okay, I'll write them down. And she said, point to them so that way your brain has to stop. I'm like, this is really great sponsorship information, you know, and I'm doing it. And I call her and I'm like, it's not working. And she's like, okay, what about working with people? I'm doing it. It's not working. And it's like, oh, this stuff, are you doing it? Yes, I'm doing it. It's not working. And I can't, and I'm probably about a month in. I have this new girl staying with me on my couch. And I'm like a mess. And she goes, "My new, this new girl looks at me and goes, maybe we should say the third step prayer together or something. <laughs> 13 years of sobriety. 30 days, you know. And she's thinking, oh, my God, you need to pray. <laughs> and I'm thinking, things are fine. Things are great. I just can't sleep at night. I don't know what's going on. And uh, I was at a meeting. Thank God I still showed up at meetings. And I was at a meeting, and somebody talked about secrets. And I thought, oh, I have to tell her that? You know, and it wasn't just that. Because what happens is if you omit one thing, all of a sudden you can omit that because that's not really stealing. And if you do that, you can omit that because that's not really that big of a deal. And before you know it, you've omitted this hole about this big and you're drowning in the hole with your omit- your omissions, you know. And and I'm drowning. And what happened was I see why people stay sober for 15, 16, 20, 30 years and, and, and they step away from sponsorship and Alcoholics Anonymous and drinking's not an option, but suicide is. Because I was there. I was in tears. I was in so much pain. I mean, gut-wrenching, on the bridge, I'm going to die, get to get rid of this feeling pain. You know, i what? I got to kill it somehow. Um, and it, I finally thought, i got to tell Beth. I mean, I had told a friend. It's just no relief. So I called Beth one afternoon, and I just said, you know, I got some stuff I've got to share with you or I'm, I think I might die. I mean, and I'm crying and I'm just like, I, and she's like, well, you know, we can see each other or, you know, or you can just tell me now. And I said, I, I have to just tell you now because I have got to get it off my chest. And I did. I told her some things that I was really ashamed of. You know, I was, and shame for me is like a, a nail in my coffin. You know what I mean? It will, it will perpetuate itself into fear and into more lies and into more shame until I have to kill myself or I have to drink because I can no longer look at myself in the mirror. I can no longer put my head on the pillow at night without it telling on itself, you know, and, um, and so I sat and I told her the whole ugly truth, you know, and she didn't hang up on me and she didn't say, oh my God, you did what? You know, and I expected her to say those things to me. What she said to me is, thank God you don't have to kill yourself now. Thank God you don't have to drink. This is what we do next. This is what we do now. This is who, you, you know, go to a meeting. And she gave me action steps. And what happened is I get to be here today. You know what I mean? And today what my life looks like, and God still plays such a big role in my life. You know, I've got three kids who are all about to be 20, 17, and 13. I have no idea how they got there, you know. And my uh, 20-year-old uh, just uh, got charged with a felony. We're so proud. <laughs> it's great. Go Maddie. Yes. And uh, how am I doing on time? Okay. So, uh, you know, she was always a lot like me, you know, and she's got two very alcoholic parents. So how, you know, God love her. And uh, she 
does what we all do. If you steal a little, you think nobody knows. I got away with it. I'll do it again. And that's what she did. She worked at a place where she was stealing and taking it back to another store to return it for the cash. And they caught wind and they fired her. And, and, and hopefully she, you know, she won't get a felony. But, you know, I pray for her. And my prayers are for her are just like they are for you or for me. And it's God, please touch her life and please help her. Now, getting a felony, most people would be like, how is that God working in her life? But it really is a huge opportunity for her because now she doesn't have to lie anymore and steal anymore. Now she's got an opportunity to not do that anymore. She gets to say, oh, okay, this is what I've done, but I don't want to do it anymore. I want to live differently. And she gets to live differently now. And she even called me and said, I do feel a little relieved, Mom. I know it's really bad, but it's like, I get it. I get that kind of, I get that kind of fear. You know, I get feeling like that. Um, and then I've got a 16-year-old who's going to be 17, and she gets straight A's. We don't think she's ours. <laughs> she's just really, really good. The stork brought her and mixed up the houses or whatever. She's a great kid. She's the kid that will be in prayer in a family meeting prayer when we were married, and Dan was, like, really just being a jerk, for lack of better words, that day. And we were in prayer, and she said, and God, please help Dad, you know, pray with us when we ask him to pray with us and not be so angry as she's peeking at her. You know, she can always just say those things and just be transparent and just be honest. And she's really kind of awesome. She really is awesome. And um, she's doing great. You know, she has goals. She doesn't want to be a, a mom that drinks and barbecues and or lives on the beach and sells waffle fries, you know. <laughs> she actually wants to be like a veterinarian, you know. And she has, like, normal goals. She's like a normal kid, you know. I look at her all the time going, what do you think, you know. <laughs> She'll go, I think you need to call your sponsor. <laughs> she's really great. She really is. She's, she's really a good kid. And then I've got Josh, who's absolutely amazing, too. He really is. He's, he's just awesome. And uh, he looks just like his dad. Um, but he's smart, and he tries really hard, and um, he's loving. He's got just the most loving, kind heart ever. And, you know, he had those two thumbs when he was born, and we took one of them off, and he always says, Mom, you should have left it on. And I'm thinking, you know, we got to make you normal. we got to make you like other people. And he's like, how cool would it be to have two thumbs? <laughs> like the only kid in school that's got two thumbs and call me double thumb Josh or something, you know? <laughs> and me, I'm like, let's cut it off. <laughs> So we did, but we'd stopped doing surgeries and stuff on it so he could make up his own mind on what he wanted to do. But he's unique, and he's really cool. You know, he really is. He's really an awesome kid. Um, I live, you know, I'm still a single mom. Um, I'm blessed with, you know, um, a good relationship with a man that I just really keep trying to find ways to screw it up, you know. And I keep thinking, hmm, yeah, there's got to be something wrong with him, you know. And um, there's just not. You know, and it's the ones that are really, really bad for me that I'm like, oh, no, he's perfect. No, he's great. <laughs> no, no, he's not really, you know, committing felonies right now. <laughs> I was like last month, you know, and, you know, but this guy, you know, is like a lawyer and a judge and he does things right and he, you know, is stable. And I'm just like, mm, something's wrong, you know, <laughs> something's wrong. And uh, I have to call my sponsor every now and then going, oh, I just don't think it's going to work. And. But, you know, um, it's really, really great. Like, he has my kids right now, you know? How great is that, you know? Um, it really is. It's a good thing. Um, so in Alcoholics Anonymous, I've learned so much. I mean, being here since I was, like, 19, even though it's kind of in and out and in and out, things like being able to vote. I didn't know how to vote when I got here. I drank that day. You know what I mean? They taught you how to vote and what to do, and I just was absent from school because I drank a lot in high school if I showed up at all. And I remember my sponsor asked me, she said, are you going to vote today? And I was just, it's one of those shameful things. You know, I wasn't going to tell you I didn't know how to vote, but if you're going to ask me, I'm not going to lie to you. 
Um, and I said, I just don't know how to vote. And she said, oh, and she gave me a homework assignment. And she said, you know, go look up, you know, how women learned how to, you know, the, the path that we went, that we had to pave so that we had the right to vote, you know. And, and I was able to make an educated decision if I wanted to vote or if I didn't want to vote. And I wanted to vote. I did have a say-so, you know. And um, she didn't laugh at me, you know. I mean, I always think you all are going to laugh at me or you all are going to say things about me. And, and it's just not the case. I'm always wrong, you know. It was kind of like that with drinking. I would set out to say I'm going to have a few and it's going to be a great night. And we would end everybody would be in jail but me, you know, and I'm on the bridge ready to commit suicide. And it's the same way in sobriety for me a lot of times. I always think it's going to be this way. If I do this, it's going to go, I'm not going to call her because she's going to say this. And I'm always wrong. Thank God I'm always wrong. Um, and I get to call her every, my sponsor every Thursday now, and she gets to continue to help me help shape my life, and I get to share it with somebody else and bounce it off with somebody else. You know, I learned how to vote here. I learned how to do laundry here. I'm still not great at it. There are still things that I have to work on a lot. Um, laundry is definitely one of those things. Um, I remember learning how to do the laundry when I talked to her on the phone. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have, like, 17 loads of laundry. And she was like, put me on hold, go downstairs and separate them. The whites go with the whites. The reds go with the reds. The dark. I'm like, okay, hold on. And I came back, and I'm like, there's 20 loads, you know. <laughs> but she helped me learn how to do the pro breaking it down really easy. And my life is like that, breaking it down really easy. Because I have these huge, huge chunks of my life that I just – for instance, I'm this photographer. I love it. I've been in my own business because the guy that I was dating with the photography company, well, we broke up, so I lost my job. <laughs> well, I got fired. Well, I don't know about all that. But anyway, I did. I don't work there anymore. And, uh, and I started my own company, which I love, and I think it's great. But it's really hard to be a single mom and be self-employed. And... Um, Every time I seem to be, like, on the path, like, my prayers are, God, please, you know, do with me as you will. Um, and I kept getting these things about, um, about nursing. Okay, and I'm a photographer. I love it. I love it. And I really feel like God's talking to me, telling me he wants me to do nursing. And I'm like, I was emancipated when I was 16. Um, my GPA was, like, 1.91. Um, to get into this private school, um, Christ College of Nursing, it's a 2.75 minimum GPA. I took my ACT scores. I had to write this letter, get some letters from some people talking about if they think I'd be suitable or not. Um, I just found myself on the computer ordering all the stuff, getting everything together. And I found, it's like, I didn't have to do anything. Does that make sense? Like, yes, I did a little bit of footwork, but I felt propelled and pushed in that direction. And, uh, before they even got my ACT scores, they called me um, and they sent me an acceptance letter. And I got accepted into the Christ School of Nursing, which is like at a 63% acceptance rate with a 1.91 GPA. Me, you know? Um, that to me is God's will in my life. You know, that's how He shows up for me. He does the, the car breaking down, you know? He does those things for me and He shows up like that for me in my life. Um, in Alcoholics Anonymous, I've learned how to be a friend. Um, I learned how to keep, you know, what stays, what we speak about stays with me, which is hugely important, Alcoholics Anonymous, because if I can't talk to you and know that it's not going anywhere, I'm in big trouble. Um, and, and thank God that um, I get to learn those lessons so that I can pass them on to my girls and be there for my girls, you know. Um, I do have a home group. Um, I learned how to be a mom here. I learned how to show up to my home group. I learned how to have, how to have a job in my home group. Um, I learned how to say yes to AA commitments, uh, how to do laundry, pay my bills, answer the telephone, um, be a great ex-wife. I'd say I'm a pretty great ex-wife. It's kind of hard and challenging at times, but it's good. Um, how to be a mom and a friend, um, how to sponsor women. Um, and boy, does that teach me a lot. 
you know, when my women call me um, and they come up with all of these things and I'm just like, I know, I've done that. I know what to do there. Um, it's really, really a blessing. Um, I'm grateful. Thanks so much for having me.